everyone. You're listening to Transported, real industry news, real industry innovation. I'm your host, Nisha Patel, and we're here to talk about all things entrepreneurship, supply chain, logistics, and technology. Today, we'll be focusing on some of the legislation out there in regards to infrastructure, PTC, and more. Joining me in the studio are Logisticus co-founders Vikash Patel and Will Steven, and we are joined by special guest Tucker McDonald with TM Strategies. How's it going, guys? Good morning. Good. Happy to be here. Great. Well, let's jump right in. Tucker, why don't you tell us tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Thanks, Nisha. Um, my name is Tucker McDonald. Um, I am based in Washington, D.C., and have been uh, in D.C. for over 20 years now um, uh, around the political and legislative business. Um, I started my career uh, doing campaign work, worked on a governor's race in Texas and then a presidential race in New Hampshire, uh, and then found my way um, to uh, the labor movement, working for two international unions uh, in the role of their national political director, first for the National Association of Letter Carriers, which represents the folks who carry the mail every day, and then um, spent six years at the American Federation of Government Employees as their national political director, which is the union that primarily represents um, the federal workforce ranging from uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, civilian workforce in the Department of Defense, Border Patrol agents, um, you know, Bureau of Prisons, uh, a number of, of, of different agencies. Uh, in 2018, um, decided to go out uh, on my own and start doing some independent consulting and um, found uh, my way to uh, doing some work with Logisticus, um, serving primarily as their, their lobbyist in D.C. and policy advisor, um, uh, really with an emphasis on the issue of repowering and uh, the issue of blade recycling and have been working with them and several other trade associations to address this important issue. Uh, and also following you know, anything that's related to the business here in Washington as far as transportation, um, renewable energy tax credits, uh, policy that would, would affect our, uh, our business and our customers. And so I've been working with Logisticus now for um, I guess close to four years. So um, it's been a it's been a great uh, partnership. Great. Well, you know, before we kind of jump right in, I always love to hear how you know you guys got together. I think you and Vikash know each other from your Tennessee days. Oh, I don't know if we want to get into those. <laughs> oh, no. Freshman year roommate. Oh man. <laughs> That is correct. That is correct. Um, uh, his logistic skills were not great uh, freshman <laughs> year. Um, we're, we're not gonna, but for you know, for his benefit and the benefit of uh, you know the, the, those listening, uh, I think we will move on to more important subjects. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was great. Um, okay, so you said you've been working with uh, logistics group and the guys here for about four years now. Um, you know, what, talk to us a little bit about kind of what your focus has been for Logisticus Group. Yeah, it, it really started, um, uh, the company was really interested in, in looking into the issue of, of what was happening um, with the decommissioning of blades and, and where um, these blades were going. And we have, you know, lots of customers that care about this issue and uh, we care about it as well. And so we started having conversations with some trade associations here in Washington and also with what was previously 
uh, AWEA and is now the American Clean Energy Association. Um, you know, the, the industry really cared about, you know, trying to find a, a solution to, to repurpose this material, whether that be recycling or, or you know, repurposing it for, for some other use. And so when I first started, that was just, you know, trying to, to work with different organizations and groups to, to address the issue and, and find out, just kind of catalog what, what was already out there. And that led um, us to, to working with um, Rewind which is a group of um, professors and engineers um, you know, from Georgia Tech and from some institutions in Europe. And you know, their mission has been to, to use this material for, for a number of different applications. And just recently, uh, in the last couple of months, they have uh, installed their first bridge, pedestrian bridge in Ireland, and, um, and seeing you know, lots of good press reports about that. And then... We are also working with them on a pilot project that would take one of uh, a repurposed blade uh, and use it for um, a, a power line pole. And so, you know, that was one of the solutions that, you know, w- we heard about and then started working with them to to address kind of their logistical questions uh, and, and setting up what hopefully someday will be, you know, will be an independent business that, you um, we'll move these blades to, to different locations and use them for, for different applications. And then we started working with some other folks, um, Carbon Rivers, uh, in, in, uh, ironically Knoxville, um, all things lead back to Knoxville. And, uh, it, uh, these, this is a organization or excuse me, a business that is, you know, kind of based with some, some university of Tennessee engineers that, um, looked at the chemical process for, uh, you know, diluting the blades back down to get that back down to the original glass fiber and use that for, you know, a number of applications as well. So really, basically, anytime there was a mention of a new solution um, for for these blades, um, my job has been to to go to the companies or the, the academic institutions and uh, and have a conversation with them about you know, um, the work that they're doing and, and try to find a way that we can partner with them. Um, you know, Logisticus has such an expertise when it comes to, to moving these blades once they've been decommissioned. And, um, you know, for, for any future business that's going to repurpose these blades, that's going to be obviously a major part of it is the logistical costs and, you know, coming up with the most efficient and effective ways to get those blades to the right locations so that they can be used um, for another purpose instead of taking them to uh, to a landfill. On the same, um, kind of in the same vein of that, you know, there's there has been some you know policy discussions more in the state uh, legislatures about what to do with these blades. We've seen some legislation that's been authored uh, in uh, Nebraska and Illinois um, that would preclude uh, you know folks from taking blades to, to landfills. And this is an interesting debate because at the county level, uh, a lot of the landfills actually really like the business uh, of taking these blades because it's a lot of revenue for them. Uh, that helps them offset the costs um, that they you know, would have to pass on to taxpayers. And so you know, from the business side, you know, it's interesting. A lot of these you know, waste companies and landfills actually um, appreciated the work that, that they were getting from you know, disposing of these blades. Uh, but I think in, in, you know, from industry to, 
to our perspective, to, to an environmental perspective, everybody wants to find a, you know, a solution to, to repurpose these blades because the material is an extremely strong uh, material that can be used, um, you know, uh, in, a, in a number of different applications. And uh, it is a shame uh, to, to just take it to a landfill and, and not take advantage of it. So Vikash and Will, you know, talk to us a little bit about why this, why do this initiative, why are these partnerships so important when it comes to decommissioning these plants? Yeah, so, you know, with the, you know, we've been putting wind turbines down on mass scale probably for the last 15, 20 years. And, and some of these older units are kind of coming towards their end of days. And so to find, you know, viable solutions to, you know, the to be a good shepherd and also, you know, to, to dispose of these correctly, it's really important. So, you know, with the partnership of Carbon Rivers, you know, we do all the, the front end of collecting, removing, cutting them down to size, and then we provide them to Carbon Rivers, who then, as Tucker mentioned, taking them back to their original state of fiberglass. You know, it's, it's super important for us to, to, to have a real solution, and the need for this is only going to increase as our footprint of wind technology, wind, wind, wind turbines in North America for, our, you know, our energy portfolio increase, you know, this is going to be something that keeps on rearing its head. And so I'm glad that Logisticus and with the help of Tucker, we've been able to find a viable solution. And now just mass scaling the solution is uh, our next, our next initiative. Yeah. And we really like these, um, we call them niche opportunities, I guess, you know, number one, like Vikash said, obviously we want to be good stewards and this is the industry we're in so it's the right thing to do but you know not only from transportation and logistics but we we really like being the utility knife to the industry we like going to the customers and saying hey if there's something that doesn't really fit in anybody's wheelhouse you know let us think about it or try to offer you a solution and this is just a good example of that mm -hmm. okay so tucker talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you saw in 2021 yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the big issue that I was really monitoring for for the company as far as you know federal legislation happening in in, in Washington was what was going to happen with uh, the PTC and you know these renewable uh, these renewable energy tax credits all of them uh, have become an extremely important part of establishing the United States ability to to transition away from you know fossil fuels and um, there has been a, a strong desire um, to make sure that we're only growing the support uh, to make that transition um, as quick as possible and, you know we are seeing report after report whether it's from the United Nations or you know scientists in our, our own countries that are talking about the impact of climate change and how it's, you know, having an impact on really every aspect of our lives. And so there is just a strong desire to um, make a transition to renewable energy um, as quickly as possible. And there's also, you know, a race to be really the, the first, you know, the, the first country that, that gets to a net zero of carbon emissions and also can export that technology um, it's a huge job creator. Um, you know, it's a huge ability to uh, to kind of dictate also, you know, your you know your resilience a, a against some of these you know global issues that we see. For instance, with what's currently happening with Ukraine and in Russia, and that you know a major uh, issue there is the 
you know, what's the deal about the importation of, of, of Russian oil and gas? And, you know, there are geopolitical concerns about affecting the markets and affecting, you know, our home economy with what we see with gas prices going up. So looking towards uh, a time when America is truly energy independent and can rely on renewable energy to do that, um, there are a lot of lawmakers that are that are really focused on um, trying to achieve that. So with that, one of the vehicles that people have seen have been these renewable energy tax credits. So there was a big um, you know push in uh, the president's Build Back Better plan uh, to extend these renewable energy tax credits that um, were set to expire at the end of 2021. Um, the legislation that was passed in the House of Representatives would have extended the tax credits for 10 years um, and made them, you know, uh, you know, very profitable for for th- these energy developers. Um, and it was something that was seen as, you know, a way to bridge the gap to to try to get to, you know, net net zero carbon emissions by 2035. Um, so uh, unfortunately, that piece of legislation stalled in the United States Senate um, before the end of the year. And so where things currently stand, with the, at least with the PTC, is it has actually expired. Um, there is you know, m- a move to break out that portion uh, of the legislation from the Build Back Better plan and to try to pass, um, you know, standalone legislation to deal with not only the renewable energy tax credits, but other aspects of, of climate. And so, you know, uh, uh, that was something that, uh, honestly, I think a lot of us expected President Biden to talk about in his first state of the union, but that was before um, we saw the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which um, kind of has overshadowed really um, a lot of uh, what's been going on here in Washington on top of the fact that um, there was a, there's also a Supreme Court justice um, nomination that will be moving through the Senate as well. So between those two things, um, they've uh, unfortunately, I think, slowed down the action that you would actually see. Um, that does not mean that lawmakers um, are not, you know, trying to find a solution and, um, for instance, uh, there were a group of moderate uh, Democratic House members who sent a letter to the to the administration early on um, in in the year, asking them to to deal with climate and, and to to pass pieces of the Build Back Better plan that address climate as soon as possible. Um, so I think those efforts are going to just continue. But um, unfortunately, with with Ukraine and with the Supreme Court justice. Um, nomination um, still pending that those things are going to kind of step to the front of the line before we see actually legislation start moving uh, through the through the legislative process. So, Tucker, I've, I've got a question for you then. It sounds like, <clears throat> you know, if, obviously Build Back Better has all kinds of things in there. But if you look at just the PTC portion uh, of that, from your understanding, does that have bipartisan support? Well, bipartisan support is a little tough today in Washington sometimes. I, I will say this. I think that it is not something that you have seen as a controversy when people have been talking about aspects of the Build Back Better plan. In fact, I've never seen it even mentioned directly. 
Um, and that's a that's a good thing. There are a lot of Republican senators who have a lot of industry and renewable energy development in their states that I know support um, these tax credits. Um, you know, senators from Iowa, senators from Texas. Um, you know, these are these are big industry, and they you know these tax credits are not only great for you know the energy companies, but they're also great for you know, your local ranchers and farmers who, you know, can use these, you know, access to, to wind turbines and, and solar farms as a way to offset their costs for, you know, their traditional agriculture business or, or ranching business. And so they're a big proponent of it. Um, and I, you know, I suspect what you're going to see is that, you know, even if um, a, a larger climate bill doesn't find its way to being passed, um, you know, this year, uh, I still think you're going to see a pretty strong effort um, to to extend those renewable energy tax credits, um, even if it's just kind of going back to you know how it's been in the past, where it's like a one year extension, which is a little frustrating because um, it's a lot frustrating, honestly, because. What energy is uh, energy industry has said is that if you give them a long runway, uh, where you know in the Build Back Better plan that passed the House, the tax credits were guaranteed for ten years. Um, they decreased over that period, but you know um, it, it it still allowed you know these energy companies to be able to plan. And that's a, a big piece of development, which I think you guys could probably speak to that when you when you're constantly having to worry about if, if these tax credits are going to get re- renewed, then it, it does cause you know some issues when it comes to deployment. Now, you know, talking talking to <clears throat> some of the OEMs that manufacture you know, wind turbine parts, you know, and they're kind of at the edge of their seat, just like we are, because we're a company that, you know, is, is, is strongly focused in renewable energy as well. So, you know, we're all sitting there waiting, you know, when an instance like this has happened in the past where, you know, the there's been like a Ukraine or, you know, there's been something looming on the on the global scale. What does that generally do to legislation trying to be passed in DC? It really depends. Um, you know, I think what really happened with the PTC was that you know, in a traditional year, like as we would have been approaching the end of the year, there would have been the move and they would have said, okay, we need to, we need to extend this, um, so that, you know, we can continue to, to grow, you know, our renewable energy development. Um, but because there was the build back better plan that was trying to address this and because the administration was trying to figure out, you know, what is, what are the things that, you know, need to stay in the bill and, you know, what's the price tag of the bill that need to change so that ultimately it could pass that there wasn't the move to just, um, you know, break that piece of the bill out. Um, because that could have signaled that they were giving up on the overall legislation and they were starting to try to, you know, parse things out and pass them separately. So I think that we just ran into a bad, um, you know, a bad, um, circumstance of events that that really that really led to them not being able to to pass an extension. Now, you know, and then you know, with again the, the there is a huge debate in Washington right now about whether to um, 
whether to to ban the imports of, of Russian oil and gas. And with gas prices going up, you know, almost every single day, this is a you know, this is a worry of the administration. It's a worry of of, of lawmakers. So, you know, um, that really shouldn't overshadow the debate around these tax credits. Those things are not, you know, necessarily connected in any way. Um, but I think that you see some lawmakers that are, you know, f- uh, use this as a political opportunity to say we need to go back to to ramping up traditional production of oil and gas capacity so that we can, you know, um, not worry about making the decision to ban imports uh, from Russia or other, you know, bad actors. Um, and sometimes that, you know, that political debate unfortunately overshadows, you know, the the ability to get things done. But again, I think that no matter what, um, these these tax credits have been something that both industry, both the environmental organizations that are advocating for this transition, um, and both Democrats and Republicans alike from these states feel that this is a really important you know um, driver of of industry and development. And you know there there has to be something that gets done, you know, um, to to extend these hopefully you know sooner than later. Yeah. I want to talk about one other thing that's really pressing and, and will be impacting, <clears throat> you know, manufacturers both in Asia as well as the U.S., as well as the consumers in the U.S., the upcoming labor negotiations on the West Coast for the longshoremen. Um, can you kind of give a little bit of background as to, one, you know, what's this all about, why it's happening now, and then, two, during the, the last uh, negotiation, kind of historically what happened and, and what was that time frame? Yeah, so the International Longshoremen and uh, the company that that represents around, I think, 70% of the ports uh, on the West Coast, um, their uh, their labor agreement um, is up for renegotiation and I believe expires uh, on July 1st um, of this year. So um, there is, they have started um, negotiations um, and, um, you know, from the perspective of the, uh, the union's perspective, you know, this is, they see this as an opportunity um, to try to, to get a contract to address some of the, you know, some of the issues that, that they didn't, you know, see resolved in, in the previous contract. Um, just for, for reference, the last time that they negotiated, which was, I think about three years ago, or excuse me, no, about six years ago. Um, it took about nine months for the negotiations. Um, there were two instances when 29 of the ports were basically effectively closed to cargo freighters under a partial shutdown. Um, you know, that shutdown hand, you know, basically had an impact of around 70% of the imports from Asia. Um, so, you know, this was, um, you know, a contentious negotiations last time. Um, so much to the point that, you know, the uh, Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez at the time under the Obama administration, um, had to had to go out to, to California and, and sit down with both sides and, and and help to try to get a you know a resolution as soon as possible. Um, you know some of the big issues that were uh, you know uh, 
of, of importance to the union in that time were the arbitration system that they were using and then the impact of automation, which is, is still very much a, you know, a big concern for, for these workers of, you know, how, has, how, as this automation grows, how is that going to impact the future of the workforce? And is that going to displace more of, more of their members and, and more jobs? So, you know, the negotiations right now are, are happening. We don't, we, we're not hearing anything publicly, um, which is not, you know, that's not something that's, you know, uh, not normal. Um, basically what they're gonna, or unusual, um, both sides are going to probably, you know, try to take off the table, all of the things that they think that they can just, you know, come to an agreement on. And then you're left with, you know, the, the real issues of, of a sticking point, which can be, you know, uh, this issue about arbitration, automation, wages, benefits, things like that. Um, I do think that, you know, the union has seen a lot of success from strikes around the country, uh, the, the UAW strike, um, the, the strike at John Deere. Um, and there has been an, an uptick, uh, uptick in, in, you know, union organizing going on. Um, there was a, a Starbucks in New York that, uh, that won their first contract. There's now, you know, somewhere, I think, close to, to five or six. And so the union sees this as an opportunity, um, not only with kind of this increase in labor activity, but also, you know, we're, we're coming out of COVID. We're coming out of a time where supply chain, you know, issues have been impacted. No one wants to see any type of, you know, um, you know, impact again uh, after, you know, two years of, of, of navigating, you know, um, this pandemic. So, you know, there, there is a lot of, you know, uh, the union does have s- s- some leverage. S- whether that will result in, a, you know, any type of work stoppage that could impact, you know, the ability from, to, to get imports in from Asia, uh, I think it's just way too early to tell. Um, we will continue to monitor the negotiations and, and look for public statements that both the company and the, the union makes. Um, and that's going to give us, you know, an, an indication of how the negotiations are going to. But I don't think we'll probably have more details about that until we get closer to the actual date, the expiration date um, of the contract, which is in July. Now, it, they easily can just say, you know, we're going to continue to operate under the conditions of the old contract as we negotiate. That's something that both sides have to agree to. Um, but if the negotiations are going well and they want to keep momentum up, they can say, we're pretty close. We're, we're ironing out the rest of these, but it's going to take a little bit longer than past, you know, the expiration date. So we're going to agree to, you know, uh, abide by the, the old uh, constraints of the contract as we try to iron out these last um, details. Yeah, I've. I've- now, I know that there's already been a significant amount of congestion on the West Coast, um, severe labor shortages across the West Coast, uh, some of the union crews not being able to travel from port to port, um, which they had in the past because of COVID. And so it's, um, I guess this is more of a statement, it's a little scary in that you know, when we've already seen such disruption on our West Coast, 
that something like this could come up and, and further impact us without having any reprieve from the first wave of, you know, delays. So I, I do see this as something that every customer should have in their, uh, oh no, on their radar and should also start making some plans if necessary to see whether you can shift some of that cargo to the Gulf or the East Coast ports. Even though the, the voyage may be longer, you may see uh, you may see more ease of getting your product to the to the end destination. Yeah, and so I would say, you know, other than some of the things that we just uh, that you just mentioned that we just talked about, what are like one or two things on the horizon for twenty twenty two that you think um, customers and we need to just keep an eye out for? Is there anything? Yeah, I, I think there's a huge, um, there's going to be a huge um, boom of logistical needs and impact around um, the the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed. And I mean, this is going to be, you know, um, this is a historic piece of legislation that, you know, it, both Democratic and Republican administration, uh, you know, time and time again, talked about wanting to pass, you know, a large infrastructure bill. And so, you know, now that this is done, you know, you're going to see, you know, you know, over a trillion dollars being spent on roads and bridges, um, updating our passenger and freight rails, public transportation, airports, ports, road safety. There's going to be a big push um, for uh, updating the electric ve- uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure, um, you know, that's a, you know, going back to the issue of climate that, you know, one of the, the biggest hindrances to people wanting to purchase EVs and, and being able to want to travel with them is that the infrastructure is just, you know, not where it needs to be. Uh, you know, there needs to, to be a charging station, uh, you know, at every gas station. Um, and then, you know, another like, you know, looking at updating, you know, our, our buses and ferries with, you know, uh, renewable energy technology. Um, then there's also going to be a huge um, push to, you know, expand Internet access in rural areas, um, power infrastructure, you know, um, in, in our business, especially we, we see the, you know, this development of, of wind throughout the country. Um, but a lot of times these grids um, are you know, not in the places that they need to be to be able to store the this energy or to transfer it to, to other places. So updating the grid so that it can handle the growth of renewable energy is also going to be uh, a major issue. There's going to be a, a, a big push to, to rip out all of the, the lead service lines uh, in, in communities across the country. You know, there's a big successful project that was done in Newark. Uh, just recently, um, and you know, to to address issues like that, we saw with like Flint, Michigan, and so you know, this is just this bill um, is going to create a lot of opportunities for you know our customers and peripherally you know uh, businesses that you know make their money through construction and, and development. Um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities, and, and you know this is definitely something that the administration is is pushing heavily. I mean, it, it was quite the irony that that President Biden had traveled to Pittsburgh to talk about infrastructure, and on the day he went there, a bridge had actually fallen, and so there is a, a, a major 
um, you know, uh, a major push in the administration to try to, to try to address these, you know, these unsafe bridges and roadways as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. Uh, I would especially like to thank Tucker for taking the time out to talk about all of these important topics and what we should look out for this year. Don't forget to subscribe to Transported on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow Logisticus Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. <laughs>